0: rely on um x hunt when i'm hunting turkeys it is an invaluable turkey hunting tool there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you, shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. Meat the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. All right, so I, I, I'm wearing my underwear and all my clothes, and um, but I'm in bed. And you remember in the old sitcoms when they couldn't show couples in bed? I do. So they had the show that couples always had like two little <laughs> beds, bed. like two little beds with a nightstand between them, and that was like how couples slept in old sitcoms and TV shows. Yeah, that's how me and Mark Canyon are right now. We're in a hotel room and we're in little beds, laying in little beds. Um, and and, and Doug Duran and the Eagle are in little chairs,
1: <laughs> facing us, but we're in chairs.
0: Uh, Mark Canyon. Now, you like like I, I think you've even said this before that, that, that you're, you use the term like you're a whitetail guy. Yeah, true. <laughs> Can you like? I, I understand what it means. I want you to explain for people what it means to be a whitetail guy. Because <laughs> like I always say that I'm a big game generalist, yeah. which isn't really a category. You know, no one types in big game generalists into or search engines. The truth about big game generalists. The truth about big game generalists. <laughs> But what is a, a How do your
2: small game exploits fit into being a big game
0: generalist? Well, I'm a hunting generalist. But in terms of talking about big game, yeah, in terms of big game I'm a big game generalist, but I'm a hunting generalist with an emphasis on big game generalistness. But what is a
3: whitetail guy, Mark? Uh, for me a whitetail guy means that that's what I grew up on. So that was almost all I hunted growing up was whitetails. And now it still comprises probably 90% of my hunting and then most of my year otherwise. I mean, I'm doing whitetail-related stuff almost the entire year from January through December, whether it's hunting or scouting or preparing spots or all sorts of different things. So when I say I'm a whitetail guy, I mean, that is like my number one passion. It's also how I make my living. And then I have, you know... As my ability to travel and do different things has grown, um, you know I've been dabbling in new things, which which I've really come to enjoy. I've, I've been able to go hunting elk now for the last four years. S- you know, learned how to turkey hunt like six, seven, eight, nine years ago. So I love doing that now. And, and you know, I pussed around with small game when I was a kid too, but but white were what got me with a meat hook in the heart. I'd say. Yeah. Um. Is your
0: foot touching the ground? That's interesting because I think that. When TV evolved to allow couples to be in bed in one bed, yeah. I think one of the was it. <laughs> I think that one of the people in the couple had to have a foot on the floor. There were crazy rules. Yeah, yeah I think that once they could have the same bed, the foot had to be on the floor. So this must so mean, those
2: were like FCC rules.
0: Yeah, I think that Mark's fixing to come over
3: into my bed, uh, you know, with that foot on the floor. <laughs> it's been a really good trip, Steve. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I gotta tell you, what's funny is my. Uh, one of my wife's biggest pet peeves about visiting my family is that as soon as I started dating Kylie, they changed my parents in my bedroom where I grew up. They took out my regular full size bed and replaced it with two little Teen singles beds in case she so slept over. Yeah. So now even we're still married and we sleep in separate beds in
1: there. <laughs> no way. Really? Like and a regular Ozzy like, and Harriet. Right? And she's like, why do we still do this? <laughs> but your
3: parents did it for that reason? Cause no, they, no, they, oh. they, they explained that it was because yeah The old bed was mm. bad, and they had company coming over, spend a weekend, and they happened to know someone who had these almost new beds, and yeah, they didn't him. want their son defiling the family home. Yeah, that that might be what's actually happening. Uh,
0: how how comfortable are you? Like how comfortable are you saying when you say you make your living doing it? Like like spell off of it what that means? Yeah, because I think a lot like most. Not, mo- yeah, most dudes in the world, if you said, Hey, do you want to make your living hunting? Not most dudes in the world. Most dudes who might be inclined to be listening to this right now would, would be like, sure. Yeah. So what does it look like? What does it mean yeah. to be like a, to be like a professional whitetail guy?
3: So, what that means for me, it's not actually the hunting that makes my living necessarily. It's content that I create based on those experiences. So, I run wiredhunt.com, which is a deer hunting website, and the Wired Hunt Podcast, which is a deer hunting podcast. So, I make probably 75% of my income from advertising and things related to that. And then I write for most of the big deer hunting magazines I've written for Outdoor Life, Field and Stream, et cetera. Um, so, I do some freelance writing. Um, and then. Little bit of like merchandise sales and some digital ebooks, some kind of things like that, but basically content related to whitetail hunting. Um, and my core audience, and, and really where I started, was like that you know, the, the tagline of Wired Hunt was deer hunting for the next generation. So it's been <clears throat> really focused on that really, really serious whitetail guy that's thinking whitetail is all your own and, um, you know, producing content around that, that lifestyle.
0: Well, that that's something I think that Doug. You said something to Doug, and then Doug said it to me. Um, so I want to circle back around and ask you about it. Where there's like a seasonality to hunting, okay, and in the business of hunting. So when I say the business of hunting, I mean that's like content, right? There's like stuff that people watch for enjoyment, stuff that people watch and read in order to learn, equipment that people purchase. Just like activity around hunting is like strongly seasonal where after Labor Day, um, people start like there's like a creeping interest in hunting. And then it lingers past hunting season, kind of through the holidays, as people are still thinking about like it's still fresh in their head, like stuff they wanted to get, stuff they wanted to do. They're still excited about it. They're kind of sharing memories about their fall And then it sort of peters off and and goes away. And uh, Doug was recapping a conversation he had with you. And you were saying that that it's kind of like in the whitetail world, it's kind of almost not that way anymore. Mm.
3: I'd agree with that, yeah. Like what? Like why? Because uh, there's always something to be doing. So, I mean, okay, let's just start at the beginning of the year. In January and February, it's postseason scouting. So you can can scout and see, sign, so many different things a lot better during that time frame tracks in the snow, um, as as a snow excuse me, as the snow starts to melt in early March or depending where you're at, then you can really see ruts related signs, so rubs and scrapes and stuff left over from the year before. So there's a lot of that going on January through March. And then, you know, late February through March then is shed hunting. And that's huge in the whitetail community these days. So I mean tons of interest related to shed hunting. And then once you get later into the spring, then everyone's working on their habitat projects. So then all April, May, June you're talking food plots or timber stand improvements or creating bedding cover or whatever it might be. And then you get into summer and then everybody's talking about, uh, hanging my tree stands, getting out your trail cameras to see what kind of bucks are in the area, scouting bean fields, um, getting all your final prep, archery practice, rifle practice, whatever it is you're doing all the way. And then all of a sudden September and you're, you're hunting again it's in some States, October 1st and others and it's spread out. But yeah, I mean my, every single day of my year, something white terror late is going on. Um, Except for the last, like, seven. Yeah, because you've been hunting caribou. <laughs> been hunting caribou.
0: When, when, when you say you're going out in January to check tracks,
3: what, what exactly are you doing? So, I mean, that kind of situation, like, you might be walking the edges of a uh, cut cornfield and see if you can cut a big track. And if you cut a big track, you might know, okay, there's a mature buck potentially here. And if the season's done, that's a great opportunity to follow that track back and, and determine where that buck's betting. And, you know, no risk there. If I bump him, no big deal. Yeah. Um, But then you know he lived and the strong likelihood he's gonna be alive next hunting season. Yeah. And these these mature bucks, at least in the places where I hunt, you know, like Michigan or other heavily pressured states, there's a lot of hunters, these bucks they bed places for a reason. Like nothing's happening willy-nilly. If a buck if a mature buck is bedded in an area, it's because he knows he's got, you know, safety. He's not got a lot of humans going in there, he's got some way to get out of there quickly. He can observe Or smell what's happening throughout the day. So when you find those kinds of areas, not only is that mature buck that's alive right now probably going to continue to use that, but that's probably going to be used in the future by future bucks. So if that buck, if you kill that deer, someone else is going to come in there and and pick it up. So if you can identify those buck bedding areas, you're in a good situation moving forward. So you spend a lot of time backtracking deer. Sometimes, yeah. What when you look for a big track? Like what, what is the?
0: I mean, everybody likes to, you know, everybody likes to think they know a big track. Okay. Where you got that the dew claws are sp- splayed out, like the animal gets to a certain weight. Like talk through some of that stuff, some of the fallacies and truths about like what does a big old buck track look like?
3: I can't say I'm an expert on this, but I what I always look for is a four-finger track. So something that wide across there. If you've got and it doesn't look like it's a running track, if it's a walking track, a walking four-finger wide track. Now, consider that my hands are extremely powerful. That
0: <laughs> There's a big hand. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's very subjective. I know that.
3: Yeah. It's very subjective. But that's a, so a walking track four fingers wide. That's big. On a grown male. Yeah. And that, that's, have you heard that, Doug? That's something I've been told a lot. Yeah. And, and, and the key is
1: the walking track yeah. also because any deer or any bucks track looks big if it's yes. a running or moving track. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, yeah. I mean, imagine a four-finger track for me and it's one of my cattle got out, you know. Have we ever done a handoff?
0: Like where you take your I don't you know. take I, hands I, and press them together to see who's the most powerful.
3: Yeah, that'd be an interesting one. Yeah. I do want to point out that I did have you on on the handoff length at least. Yeah, but
0: when you factor <laughs> in height, like my actual proportion, you are right no, I've there. told this story before. My old man met John Wayne, and John Wayne commented on my old man's hand. <laughs> That's something to be proud of. Yes. What in, was the comment? Uh, I've never hair. shook a hand bigger than mine. And my old man should have said, and you never fought in the war, and I didn't. <laughs> he <laughs> sat it out. He I sat like it. it out. His name was not John Wayne. His name is Marion. Yeah. And he sat the war out. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't know if my dad rubbed his nose in it. The director, John Ford, rubbed John Wayne's nose in that because huh. Ford uh, was in the service. And did propaganda films and put his life at tremendous risk many times. And later on, went on to make all these great westerns with John Wayne. And Ford would, uh, Ford would embarrass and ridicule Wayne um, about his uh, lack of service.
3: Interesting. Your, your knowledge about films has surprised me. In this dude, I like movies a lot. I did man. not realize you had that catalog in the mind there. It's interesting. Big buck tracks. Do they get? Does
0: a big, huge buck track? As he gets older, does it does it round off on the tip?
3: Mm, I think it varies. It's very individual. I think you see, this isn't something I've gone as far to do, but I know some guys, and I probably should try to do this more. So, they will actually go about trying to identify individual bucks by their tracks, and so there will That's be. That's what I'm bucks, leading
0: toward. That's yeah. what I'm leading toward. So, if you want to just jump into that, jump into that.
3: Yeah. So, there's. I haven't done this yet, but there are some guys I know that can look at certain tracks. Think look, they
0: can or can.
3: They say they can. I can't verify that, but they yeah. tell me they can. Identify like a little chink in it or a rounded edge on one side or something. A chink, get, I, I would believe a chink. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And then, so here's something some people do to, to make this a little bit easier. Make track catchers. So let's say you have got a food source and maybe there's a handful of trails that lead into that food source. Let's just say it's a cornfield and there's a handful of trails leading to that cornfield. And you want to know... How is Buck X coming into this area? What some guys will do is they will go in there and they will rake out back oh, back b- back up I'm sorry, yeah I mean that
0: you're out with your with your knockers and you see a big old buck standing in a field, and you're like and you're you're wondering like what what route is he using to get here like how can I head him off because once he's in it, I'm not gonna correct. So, so, so in that case, then you're curious, like, you know, back in the woods, what is he doing before he arrives here? Yeah,
3: okay. And so, one, well, there's several ways to determine that. One, you could observe if you can find an observation stand or something where you can watch that and see into the timber. Number two, you could use trail cameras, so actually put a camera on trails and stuff and monitor that way. Or a third way is is making these track catchers, where you essentially will clear out an area on that trail, really clean and flat. Without leaves and make making a nice even dirt area, and then come back in the next day and see which one of those trails has that big buck track, or you know maybe you saw the buck come off trail X and you know to go check that track catcher because you know he walked through there. Yeah, and then you can see that print cleanly pressed in there and say, okay, he came through here. This is what his track looks like. Take a picture of it or something. Then the future, you've got one more tool in your chest that you can use to try to pattern that deer. Are you are you familiar with? Um not familiar with but but
0: lion hunters in the desert like guys that are hunting lions in the absence of snow Mm -hmm. will carry around little whisk brooms sometimes full-on brooms to dust out yeah just to 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 wipe it clean on any kind of little crossing spots or like dry creek beds just to try
3: to see exact same concept yeah
2: we used to do that as elk hunting guides like certain bigger trails that we walked a lot and you'd get to certain sections that were just like soft and sandy or you knew that it was some sort of like a, just a crossing or whatnot. It would often have elk tracks and so we would clean them out and that way next time you walk through, you'd be like, oh, somebody
0: was here in the last 24 hours. Yeah. You know, there's elk in the area. When, when fur trapping, uh, you know, you, you, in fur trapping, we trap muskrat and mink and raccoon and beaver and stuff. You pay a lot of attention to undercut banks. Like a lot of animals, like to do to to move along streams, they'll always use undercut banks because it gives you overhead protection. Makes sense. You know, you're not exp- like if you're a little mink working, you're just not exposed to avian predators and, and whatever else. And there's a lot of food under there because all the other shit that's trying not to get eaten is also living under the undercut bank. Mm-hmm. And I would just go along, like go along my hip boots, and anytime you had an undercut bank where there's a little bit of sand or mud on the bottom, you just without even thinking about it, kick water up in there to slick it so mm-hmm. the next time you came by you'd see you know you'd like slick it out to make to see if there's a mink work in it or whatever so yeah it's a kind of, it's like a technique that probably has it's probably been invented many times yeah
3: you know yeah well it makes this a simple but effective oh yeah like
2: the first time someone did it and showed it to me i was like oh i've been like walking this trail for three years
0: you know how i didn't think well, about didn't that, that yeah, thing, you know? yeah 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 um So that's like the January kind of activity. Now, shed hunting. Yeah. Are people like, are dudes hunting sheds because they're trying to learn what kind of bucks are about, or are they just hunting sheds because they want to find them because they'd like to have them?
3: I think it's the latter. I think it's a combination of both. For me, it's both, and most of the guys I hang out with, it's both. I mean, we, right, antlers are, are cool. I love having an antler in my hand and getting a look at it and yeah, turn man. it around. And, give them to the people, heck, put them Well, in your house. Whatever. I, I usually don't give them to people. <laughs> <laughs> You're stingy with them. Oh, yeah. All right. They're few and far between in Michigan. Dog's loose with them, skulls and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's an older guy. Yeah, you're <laughs> thinking about old. the end. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, man. Well, it is funny that you say that, though, because when you, uh, uh, Mark was saying uh, deer hunting, uh, what was it, for the next generation? Yeah, deer hunting for the that next generation. That was one of the conversations that we had up there on the mountain, was that yeah. I'm twice his age.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: And I am. I, I, it's, it's a it like, uh, bittersweet. But it's <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a bittersweet thing though to to realize my god you're the old guy you know
2: <laughs> they've become less and less important
1: to me like, i think
2: that I, I i used to very much just like hoard them never wanted to give them away and then eventually i was just like really
3: why yeah. why are these important to me i think you there's like a threshold maybe like i feel like i'm just starting to get to that point where i haven't like at first it was so like I had two and then 10 and then 12, and like it's such a special thing. Mm-hmm. And then once you get to a certain number, yeah, it's, it's easier to part with them.
1: Um, but if it's on your property, it's nice to know. Yeah. I mean, I found both sides on a couple of different occasions, and That's it's like, super cool. I want to kill this deer. Yeah. Or if I kill this deer, it's going to be cool to have his sheds. Yeah. So, yeah, but this no,
0: okay. All right. Uh, just so, so to recap, like it, right. now, now, now I got myself all messed up. <laughs> I get it, the shed, but I want to get back to the primary question. Yes. So with all the trail cameras and watching and looking and scouting and all that kind of shit, you're telling me now and then you'll find a shed antler. Now, I want to back up for the real neophytes here. Um, deer, I'm going way backing up. Deer lose their antlers every year. Some people don't really realize this. They sure do. A deer drops his antler and regenerates it. Every year. So when people talk about horns and antlers, and sometimes people will say like, "Oh, that deer's horns," and yeah, okay, that's fine. But it's not a horn; it's an antler. The horn, an animal keeps his whole life. Mountain goats, bighorn sheep, all the crazy African animals—they got horns, and you retain your horns. With one exception: the pronghorn, the American pronghorn or antelope. Um, is it is the only horned animal that sheds its horn and grows it new every year and horns are like basically made out of hair antlers are like bone um so when we say a shed we mean like the annual shed and, and a buck, with some exceptions but generally a buck every year is going to grow bigger and bigger antlers if he's fortunate enough to live so long and hits what age mark six seven eight older than that they start they going start downhill. to go back downhill yeah but, Typically, yeah. But one in a one in a thousand bucks lives that old. Yeah, they just don't live that long. Too much shit happens to them. um So you're telling me that you have, in all the thinking and scouting and looking and trail cam and that you're up to, that you'll now and then find a shed antler and be like, I didn't know that this buck existed.
3: Well, it depends if it's a property that you hunt that I've been doing all those things. Yeah, that still happens sometimes. Really? So he lived this whole damn year but and lot- then shed his antler and evaded your attention. Lots of times, though, these deer have different ranges. So like the bucks that I'm seeing in the summer and the hunting season, but those those might be very different than a buck that shows up in March and sheds his antler. Um, for example, there's a deer I've been hunting and watching for a couple of years now that he shows up on this property like the first week of September, right when Ant- when the velvet comes off. He relocates to that fall range. No, uh, define property. What do you mean? Like like you give it an acreage. Like what you're talking about. So there's a property in Mid Michigan that I hunt that is a 90 acre farm that I have permission to hunt on.
0: So small, relatively small, like small farm.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's all relative, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I mean, like
0: like a like in in Michigan. When I lived in Michigan and we were hunting, we hunted a lot of like working family farms that were big enough to support, you know, a family. There
3: was a lot of farms in the range of of three to four hundred acres in the oh, area man. I grew up. Man, by us at least, everything's getting fractured, smaller and smaller and smaller yeah, properties. Yeah. I mean, it's all forties and eighties these days, almost, is what yeah, I, I gotcha. see. Yeah. Um, so I feel somewhat um, fortunate to have ninety acres to hunt on there. Um, It gives me enough to work with. half of it's open field, so you can't do much with that, but then the other half has some cover and stuff. Oh, dude, I'm not dogging on having 90 acres. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm just trying to clarify for people who don't really deal in acreages in their head what we're talking about. Well, you pointed that out a couple days ago. That's so funny to to hear me talk about properties Mm. when hunting out west. That's something you guys don't think about at all. But yeah, I think that's everyone that I hunt with and around, that's how you work. I've got permission on two properties, or I've got this property or that property that you can hunt. you have to um, cherish those because they're fleeting. Getting permission, they can you can lose it quick. You can get kicked off a property, like we joked about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, they sell it off Monday or some yeah, you, you little some start little
0: cousin have yeah. to pay. Yeah, and that happens. Yeah, cousins are the bane of hunters, man. <laughs> because every dude that owns property, it's, just, it's inevitable they got some damn cousin who eventually is going to come around wanting to tap into his birthright and boots you off the property. But you got a 90 acre property and then you have freedom to roam there. But in all the surrounding properties, you might not be able to, whatever happens there is someone else's business.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to get permission on as many places as I can, you know, to, to increase your flexibility and your options and stuff. So in some places I have permission on multiple properties, some places just a tiny little piece here or there. But in this case, yeah, I've got permission on a 90 surrounded by other landowners um and there's a buck of interest buck of interest and and yeah he he shows up in september he hangs out till january and then he disappears
0: but i don't understand what you mean like shows up from where like how far away could it possibly be not a a mile or two
3: i've i've heard and seen examples of a mile or two yeah it could be it could be just on the other side of your 640 acre block um yeah so i know like in some cases like in this case a neighbor a sort of distant neighbor that I keep in communication with has gotten summer trail cameras of this buck, but I've never seen him or gotten pictures in the summer, but then he sees him almost never during the fall. I see him all the time during the fall.
0: Do you think he's moving there because of, because of something going on with agricultural
3: timing, or do you think it has something to do with him prepping, coming in? Cause he's fixing to mate some does. I can't necessarily put my finger on it because you know the crops are rotating every year, so it's not like he's only going over there on years when it's a soybean year, and then he comes over on mine when it's a soybean year in my uh, on, on the property. I can hunt there, so it's not necessarily related to that. Um, you know. <sighs> A lot of a lot of times, bucks will prefer to summer in areas with more mature cover and stuff because when they've got those big velvet antlers, they're not necessarily wanting to get in the thick, nasty stuff that they nest that they would in the later in the fall. So a lot of times, you're gonna see mature bucks in the summer and like uh, habitat like where I'm at, they might bed and hang out in areas of big mature timber stands that are close to like a soybean field or something good summer nutrition. Then once you get into September testosterone is rising, velvet comes off, they start relocating to these fall ranges where, number one, there's better fall cover because once those leaves come down, they require a different cover. And then number two, they want to go where there's going to be more does because, of course, that time period is coming up the rut. But they want to establish their own space from other bucks. And they, they, they need space. How old this deer that you're looking at? This buck should be five and a half this year. Oh, yeah. Which in Michigan doesn't happen. Oh, yeah no.
1: yeah, no doubt. I have found that the older the deer gets... The older the buck gets, the less he moves. A
3: tighter core range, yeah, yeah. I've seen and heard the same. What do you feel is a deer's core range?
0: Like how how much? Um, I shouldn't say what you feel because it's known now because of the tracking data. It's like it's not like intuition anymore. Like like how much space does a whitetail
3: deer use? So, I am going to get the specific numbers wrong here, but. There's a home range and a core range are kind of the terminology that's thrown around. The home range is something like where that buck spends about seventy five percent. Let me take the back. Yeah. About seventy five percent of his movements are gonna be within that home range. And that can be like three hundred to six to a thousand acres, something like that, like a relatively large area. Where he might at some point in time turn up. Yeah but then there's that core range where he he's spending the very most like that's the most concentrated amount of his movement and that can be 40, 60, 80 acres so much tighter area where he's bedded most of the time where he's going to be feeding most of the time but then there are those, these forays like it's, it's well proven you know, especially during the rut that bucks and even does will take these extended forays randomly a mile two out of their core range seemingly at random possibly following a doe or different things like that, and then they'll return back to that core you a know, week later or something.
0: Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year i said it before I, a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. To purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country black buffalo tobacco alternative bold flavor full pouches warning this product contains nicotine nicotine is an addictive chemical black buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco
2: i think it's always kind of add something it's interesting to add uh to sort of compare it to what the Arizona guys see with their white tails because it's so much more open, right? And they get to sort of experience what you're talking about through their binoculars at two miles away. Right. And, you know, we talked to some guys that kill bucks that they've seen, like, sleeping underneath the same cactus or same oak tree, you know, dozens of days, you know, like and just they don't move sometimes. You know, these yep. bucks just live in one little bitty canyon, you know, and sleep under the same tree.
0: There's a story we heard about a desert whitetail. You you might remember the details, Yanni. Someone someone in our circle um, of associates had found a desert whitetail or a coos deer under a tree. And it was a big, nice buck, and it wasn't seasoned. And it had distinctive antlers. And then they looked for it and looked for it and looked for it over the next several years. Is this Right. I think. Could never find it. And then one day, they found it again laying under the tree. <laughs> just was there. like Maybe it was just in that little pocket the whole time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but what they talk about, these guys that hunt coos deer a lot, because you, cause you're looking at it, it's like like in the Midwest, all white tail activity is like hidden from view. You know, and you have to do all this stuff, but like out there where it's open, yeah, you can get back and just observe the whole thing. What they talk about is glassing up a big buck, finding his, like identifying his little zone, and then just finding a little sniper's perch somewhere like in the vicinity of his zone, and then you just lay there for a couple of days, right. waiting for him to do his his thing, and you're just like peeking in on it, you know, which isn't the luxury you have in, no. in flat flat timbered
3: brushy country yeah i will point out though to your point yana sort of that those core and home ranges and the amount of movement even a whitetail in the midwest or northeast that is very habitat dependent too Mm. so i mean if you're in an area where they have to travel much farther distances to get between decent food and and good security cover it can be much larger but i think in an area where where it's evenly dispersed cover food water etc i think those numbers tend to be in that range So the buck you're talking about, the the buck that got to be five and a half years old, how did he get to be five and a half
0: years old? Like, how has he avoided getting shot four times? So? When just every buck gets shot. Yeah. Or not every Yeah, every buck eventually gets hit by a car, killed by coyotes, shot by a gun, or just whatever other accidents befall him, tangled up in a woven wire fence. Like, I've seen it quite a number of times over the years. Like, just stuff happens to him.
3: Yeah. So I think a lot of luck Right. I mean cuz all those things you listed up fences, cars, coyotes, none of that stuff has happened yet. But outside of luck, I think two things. Number 1, he has a very tight core range. Like he I've never had a buck that I've hunted and observed that is so habitual in a small area that he uses. Like I during the hunting season because of how this property lays out, there's a big hill up towards the front of it that I can sit on and I can look down over I can actually see a decent ways into this area some fields and you can actually see into this brushy like multiflora rose type stuff that's, i know that stuff yeah you know, great cover and tall grass but from high i can see down into it you guys, like, hunt, you guys ever chase cottontails down that multiflora rose no because that's on a neighboring property oh i got you but i can see it um and that buck during the hunting season is there almost every day i mean he he stakes stays in a very small area so i know he's possibly going to come feed on the property i can hunt he's going to bed just over the edge into this thick stuff and then, if I hunt you know one or these one or two stands where I can see that area, I can almost almost guarantee i 'm going to see him. Are dudes hunting that property too not often so that 's the thing that we 've got going is that there 's a a hunter there that doesn 't go in very often, so he has kind of a sanctuary there on that property most of the year and then on the property I can hunt i 'm very very careful about how I hunt it and when I hunt it so he 's got kind of a two property section there that's almost hunter hunting pressure free that he can roam around in so he's got that going for him
1: Are you friendly with the other guy?
3: Yes. Does he, so is, he, a, is, he
1: is he aware of this buck also?
3: Um yes. Now he doesn't know. Uh, we haven't talked about it like, to the degree I'm obsessed with this buck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like, he might be aware. Like, oh, I heard there's a big buck back there. That's what a lot of people think of it, but they don't
1: think of it like, what is it actually up to?
3: Yeah, yeah. So, so, but yeah, we we've like had drinks together, and I mentioned, oh, there's this nice buck that I see every once in a while, and
1: so he's on board with the idea of let's let this uh, let's let deer get bigger and stuff.
3: Yes, ish, yeah. yes. I think he's not quite. Um, as serious about as I am, but uh-huh. we've talked about in the past and it sounds like he's not interested in shooting you know, like a year and a half old bucks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So There's a couple different people. I've, I've tried to meet everyone I can in the area and most of them want to see you know bucks get a little bit of age on them. So that's a good thing in the general area. That
1: yep.
3: There's a handful of properties where they don't do that, a couple properties where they do. Um, but then the second or the third thing, I guess, that has allowed this buck to get to that point, and maybe I'm going to take too much credit for myself, but I've chosen not to kill him. Um, so the very first year I saw him I saw him the night before op- the night before opening day of bow season in Michigan, and he was a nice three-and-a-half-year-old buck. It was the best-looking buck I had seen on the property that year, and, and at that point, I was, I was interested in shooting a three-and-a-half-year-old deer in Michigan because that's still hard to find too. So he was a buck that I would shoot, but opening night came, and a different buck came, and I killed that deer, and so I decided I'm not going to kill this other deer now because I've already taken one off this property. So I was just going to shoot does the rest of the season. So he got he got a free pass the rest of that year. I had him within bow range later in the season and chose not to shoot him. Hmm. Last year, um, he'd be a four-year-old, and again, I was seeing him a lot. had learned a lot about him from the past year, so I definitely wanted to, to shoot him last year. Had I, I saw him with my own eyes 27 times during the season last year. Um, had him, yeah, crazy, right? Yeah. Um, had a shot at him at 40 yards one evening, but it was like right at last light, and I just... Didn't feel comfortable taking yeah. a shot in those conditions.
2: Oh, but you would have shot him last
3: year. I would have shot him last year. How many inches but,
1: of horn of antler does he have?
3: So last year he probably would have been like 100, mid, 130, a hundred mid one one thirty eight pointer as a four year old. As huh. a um, four year old, which is a really good Michigan buck.
1: Yeah. Wow.
3: Um. But so he, I had all these encounters earlier in the season. Gun season comes. And I was like, ah, you know, I think I couldn't pull it off. He's probably going to get killed during gun season you know, I made, you know, made peace of that reality. Like I had an awesome experience with this deer. He's probably gone, but lo and behold, December shows up. He's still alive. And something like clicked in my mind in like early December when I realized he'd made it through all of October, he made it through all of November and the rut and gun season. And I kind of realized, wow, this deer could actually make it another year. Um, and I'd already, I'd already killed two bucks I'd already killed two bucks uh, last year and several does, and I realized I don't need to fill another tag. I don't need to kill this buck. He probably could make it to next year, and I've just come like it's been a very unique thing to be able to watch a deer over two years. so I've become, you know, so invested in like this experience, in this interaction with this deer, that I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what, I'd like to, I'd like to see if he'll be around next year.
0: Yeah, but as a writer, at this point, as a writer, you almost can't kill the some bitch. <laughs> At this point, you got to be like, the story would be, and there he was, and I had this chance. You ever see the movie The Golden Seal? No. There he was. I had a chance, and then just like, you ever see uh, Deer Hunter?
1: No. What? Oh, my goodness. No, I know. I should have seen it. He's only 29 years or 30 years old. Yeah, just, oh, 30, shit. 30.
0: I saw the Deer Hunter five times by the time I was 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Vietnam movie.
3: You don't know? Like, I, I've heard of it. I just haven't seen it yet. It's
0: Boys from Pennsylvania. Grew up in the in the mining world. Every year they hunt, you know, they go up and hunt the mountains every year, and they go off to Vietnam. Um, one of them's in the Green Berets. They wind up in a prison camp. Two of them wind up in the prison camp together. The VC use them to make bets on Russian roulette. <laughs> they get deeply damaged. Come home. Robert De Niro uh, goes up back hunting with his friends. Uh, for some weird reason a red stag comes out uh, in movies they always, you know, always find in, in American movies they always got red stags in them Like they, they make that mistake in Last in the Mohicans
3: you know who, who made the movie definitely is not a wildlife yeah. uh, so yeah. a
0: stag comes out but De Niro uh, doesn't shoot it instead he starts you know he's like it's over it's over and doesn't shoot it the
3: golden seal is a very valuable seal and when you say seal are we talking uh what kind of seal seal i don't know like no, an animal ring
0: seal i can't remember it was, it was when i was a kid so it's an animal dude finally gets a crack at it yeah dude finally gets a okay. crack at it and decides not to take the shot okay She's like no i can't do it so i think now this buck when you get the chance you got to be like <laughs> let him walk off into the sunset man because don't you think you know him
3: too well now to shoot him well, I mean, it's definitely getting that. Where I've gotten a point you shoot where. Shoot your dog? No, I wouldn't shoot my dog. I would shoot. <laughs> oh, what? Like, I would shoot this deer. Well, how
0: though. is this deer? After all of these
3: years of interactions, how are you going to then go jab an arrow into him? I know it's a really weird paradox. Um, Dude, because you're 100 percent right, and I, picture I have the
1: movie, that. and in the end, he's like, "Bam! <laughs> Look at his face! <laughs> Look at his face! He's, he's going to pull back and shoot that deer." <laughs> what happened to your socks, Doug? Uh, I, 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 I'm wearing my comfy shoes without socks,
3: dude. Post hunt, let them
0: let them air out, so airing them, airing them toes out, huh?
1: So I, now I'm interested in this buck. And uh if can, get permission <laughs> <after> <laughs> yeah. Where exactly is this? Yeah. And,
3: you know, all, the, all my friends threaten to do that too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now I, uh. So he continues to be an eight, or is he starting to get some junk? Or
3: so up to this point, hes
0: <laughs> really. So I have no, That's fine. That's fine. I, I'm trying to get in some heavy shit here, right? About him
3: finally
1: taking. <laughs> I'm visualizing him here.
0: He got these stickers. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, so, so he is a he is a tight and tall eight pointer. He has been <laughs> that for the last two years. He's just gotten heavier every year. Huh. But I don't know what he looks like this year because um, I haven't seen. Well, you him. haven't
0: seen him. Oh, because he's, no. he's, he's on the in this, place. Place. Yeah, he's on the mystery comes place. Over.
3: So I so saw him. So how do you know he's going to show up? You don't. I don't. So right, right Buy about car. right about now is when he usually shows up.
0: Oh, so there's still a lot of this is not a done deal yet. Oh no,
3: not a done deal. But, but he la- checked back. But you know, March.
0: in December
3: he made it through the hunting season. Yeah. He made it all the way through March. I saw him in March, still so carrying his antlers. Think
0: so? You, you don't know?
3: I don't know. There was there's a He's a, not walking under your tree stand every night right now. Not yet. But well, starting right about now, he usually starts to. So Have you found as, his sheds. Never found a shed. What did he name? What's his name? Don't tell me he doesn't have a name. He, he has a name. He has a name. That's, that's <laughs> what those white tail guys do. Oh
0: no! You saw me name a caribou the other yeah. There. You named one Snow Angel. That's right. <laughs> so, it's
3: still, so still. I won't be ashamed at all of.
0: Well, I named him Snow King, Snow Angel,
3: snow, snow White, Flake,
0: Snowflake. He picked up a lot of names. All, all sort
3: of based off a of snow theme. He did. uh what is his name? You don't want to tell me? I will tell you. And I know it does sound ridiculous to some people from no, outside perspective. Sound ridiculous. But <laughs> No, but it's the,
2: an efficiency thing. It
3: is.
0: It's an efficiency. It's, that's all it
2: is. Oh yeah, because we what often it, yeah. name
3: stuff El
0: Sace, El Ocho, Fabio. Fabio. Yeah.
2: <laughs> we do it with a hint of um um sarcasm. Sarcasm.
0: But I think everyone at this point does with a hint of sarcasm. Almost everyone does with a hint of sarcasm. Because like, there's some
3: outlandish names out there. Yeah. But I mean, what am I going to do for three years? Oh, you know that one eight pointer that I've seen twenty seven times. Oh,
0: exactly. Well, I did try to, I did try to dub a caribou. We were looking at that one caribou way over there. Yes, you did. But it just was cumbersome, that and did, so that didn't
3: stick. We settled on Snow Angel. <laughs> <laughs> so this buck I refer to as Holyfield because he's got a chunk <laughs> missing out of his ear.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so it was a natural fit, and uh, and yeah. Hopefully he'll be there when I get back Dude, home. Dude, I'm gonna think so much less of you <laughs> if you
0: jab an arrow into this deer after all of this time together.
1: But on balance, I'd be really disappointed if you didn't if get I the didn't. Opp- if you get the opportunity. Well, here's, you but you know what though? Here's
0: here's another way way looking at it. He's walking dead.
3: What do you mean? Like he's gonna get killed? Like yeah, he's just like he's at the end of his time on yeah, Earth. It's it's five gonna and a half. By someone or something, yes, yeah. it was interesting though, last year, so I have a podcast, so I talk about all these things with my own audience a lot, and so this the story of Holyfield has become like this long running thing that all these people are following and, and so last year, when I decided you know I, I don't think I don't want to shoot him this year, um, and I explained I had a really lengthy conversation all you know going through my thought process and, and why I decided I didn't want to do that, there was a, a an incredibly passionate response from a lot of people a lot of people were like i totally get it and then a lot of people i can't believe you're not going to shoot it you're letting us down like kill that damn buck what we want this like someone else is going to kill they wanted a resolution yeah they want a resolution to the story um but you said it was pretty equal though you had other people that were like yeah oh i'd I'd say it was it was 90 percent like totally get what you're saying but then there was a very loud and passionate 10 percent that wants that deer dead (laughs) um just, just to see just, yeah, like you said, resolution. They like I mean, to have their story wrapped up. Yeah, like there's a lot of people that feel like they're living vicariously through this experience. Like, And because it's been such a consistent thing we talked about. Um, and some people are probably just so sick and tired of me talking about it. They just want to move on to something <laughs> new. <laughs> you know what's refreshing about you, what I like about you, one of the things, is that
0: the, 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 there's sort of these national standards and big bucks, right? Where people sort of like... What is an acceptable big giant buck is set by like very specific regions that just for a multitude of reasons are able to produce genuine big huge giant bucks. Right? Like big huge giant bucks used to like for a while it was like Alberta, right? That's where big bucks came from. And then it wound up being that certain places, like certain places in Illinois and Iowa started like cranking out big bucks. And they would set sort of the national standard yeah. of what's a big buck. So if you're going to put a buck on like the cover of a magazine, bucks on the covers of magazines are oftentimes not even real bucks. Yeah. You'll have there are magazines in existence that who have an editorial stance against the captive servant industry. So they have an editorial stance against pen-raised deer and canned hunts. Yet they adorn their own covers with pen-raised bucks. Yeah. And it creates the same way that you hear, and I'm, I'm attuned to this now that I have a daughter, the same way that you hear that there's a standard of beauty put forth by the fashion industry and by the media that is unachievable by most women who don't have the time and money to devote to their appearance, where we've created like a beauty standard. I mean, you know, I, I'm aware of this. This doesn't keep me up at night, but it's the thing people talk about. The same thing happens with bucks, right? But you have like you for whatever reason don't feel that you're able to look and be like well what is like good for the area like what yeah. is a, a big buck kind of for a normal guy hunting normal kind of little 90 acre parcels of land in a heavily hunted area and celebrate those deer without feeling that you need to go down and and go down to Texas to a high fence place to enter into the real white tail guy world
3: yeah Oh, yeah. I think that one of the. um, One thing that has come out of the deer hunting media world has been just the setting of unrealistic expectations for people. Mm -hmm. Because if you watch TV, all you see are these gigantic bucks being killed so easily it seems every single time you watch a show but they're in iowa or illinois or kansas and they're hunting tightly managed thousand acre chunks yeah it's just something that 95 percent of people can't relate to but then you get people even especially maybe newer hunters that watch that stuff that's their only way of establishing a context for what is good or what i'm supposed to do so then they start hunting and they're thinking why can't I shoot a buck like that? And they get disappointed and frustrated. They hang it up. And then up they or, act like
0: apologetic about their deer all the time, which is, yeah. that's like the really painful part to me is when people like send you pictures, like, yeah, it's just a little one, you know, but I'm like, dude, don't be like so disrespectful to the animals, man. Yeah.
3: You know, I think any animal you kill, I mean, should be celebrated and respected. And, and that is awesome. I think everybody needs to set their own goals for what that experience, for what experience they want. So for me, you know, I like to target mature bucks because I want a certain experience out of that hunting season. If I were to shoot the first deer I saw my hunting season would be done. It would it be, be an evening it'd long. Be an evening event. Um, so, so out of my hunting experience, I of course want meat. I also want a lengthy experience. I want to be out there for a long period of time. I want to be learning and observing and interacting with these animals. I want a challenge. Um, and, you know a hunting mature buck allows that whole thing to, to, to happen. And I enjoy that chess match. I enjoy whether it be a situation like this where I hunt one single property and learn a specific buck. like that is a really interesting, unique way to engage with like a, with an animal. And then I also enjoy the challenge of like going to a brand new place. I don't know anything there and I just enjoy the challenge of trying to learn that property and learn what's happening here. how can I interact with it, how can I set up and kill a deer here? There's something really cool about all those different things, uh-huh.
0: but that buck, this buck you've been watching for these three years, is that right? For three years, yeah, you've been aware of him for three years. This buck you've been watching for three years, and you know so intimately, and he's kind of in the autumn of his life. Whether you get him or not, he's in the autumn of his yeah. life. All that, that some bitch still wouldn't make the cover of a magazine. No,
3: no, you're not right. even
0: close. Not even close. Uh, like, why is that? Okay, I don't mean that socially, which is let, let's explore it socially. It won't make the cover of the magazine because it doesn't meet sort of the national thing, sort of the, the the national somewhat false notion of what a big buck is supposed to look like. Correct. That's a social aspect. Yep. But why is it that that deer can be five and a half years old and be mm-hmm. that big, but a deer from Buffalo County, Wisconsin, that's five and a half years old, you're going to be able to fit the, that deer's antlers inside that Buffalo County deer's antlers.
3: So there's two high-level things going on there. One would be habitat nutrition, and one would be genetics. Um, So this buck just doesn't have the genetics to develop into a a gigantic deer. Um, He just is what he is. Gigantic gigantic antler deer are very rare. I mean, even in places like Buffalo County, they're still relatively rare compared to average um so most mature bucks probably even in the best places in the in the country are still going to be you know a five six year old buck with great habitat nutrition maybe would only be 140 really so they don't
0: all in those places all old bucks aren't huge not
3: all it's it's always a bell curve right so there's always going to be that average you know most of your bucks maybe at five or six might be 140 150 yeah Uh,
2: remember when we were in texas and the amount of like coal bucks that that manager was shooting that they were they were in that range. they were 140, 150 inch bucks, but he was shooting them for a couple of reasons. One, they weren't going to get big, but by taking them all out along with hundreds of does, he was leaving more habitat, more nutrition mm-hmm. for you know the Those, ones that they're
0: really trying to live. And the an interesting big. thing that, that that dude brought up is talk about the stress. Right, just less competition yeah. with other deer. He yeah. felt that by, and this guy's this guy manages an extremely large property for some fairly wealthy individuals. And his mandate is to produce, to have this giant property, more than 10 times the size of the property you're talking about, I, I believe. Um, the, he's supposed to produce every year two gigantic bucks that's his mandate and he's a full-time manager on this place to create two gigantic bucks in his efforts to create two gigantic bu- gigantic bucks once he identifies some candidates they go in and start and systematically remove the competitors of those candidates to give those competitors less stress yeah
3: because stress inhibits antler growth i would concur I think that falls into yeah habitat and or just herd dynamics.
0: So this buck feels like he's just lucky, but meanwhile he's just being watched <laughs> and and coddled. But you would think until you talk to the guy, but then he talks about this that even with all of that, there are bucks that vanish, and there are bucks that all of a that you see him once and never see him again. Yeah, the mystery like there's still a tremendous amount of mystery. As sure. much as he's like just actively doing this. If they, one day one shows up on a camera and you never see him again.
2: but And that's some thick, thick country. I mean, you want to talk about Michigan being thick. I mean, this is the country that there's places where you just don't even go into it because it's so thorny and
0: nasty. Yeah, everything's like 12 feet high. Once oh. you get up on a ladder, it's like, holy shit, you can see a long ways. But you get down on the ground, yeah, it's just, you just can't see anything. Another but story. uh, so so the the genetics deal and then the
3: nutrition. Yeah. I think, and, and and then you made a good I point. Mean like
0: good soil, poor soil.
3: Yeah, soil, and then what what kind of available food sources and everything. So, of course, deer that live in agricultural country are going to have terrific amounts of of food and protein and things they need to grow big antlers. Um, and then soil does make a big difference too. So that's why you see such tremendous production of big antler deer along, like the Mississippi River corridor mm-hmm. and all that stuff going on there. By you, Doug. Um, so those types of things do lead to these genetic. Um, or these, I don't know if you want to call them freaks, but these huge antler deer that you're just not going to see as often in other places.
1: So, how, I'm back on your deer again. So, how big of a deer? How big of uh, How big of a body yeah. is this deer?
3: He's a tanker, big old body, just a huge girthy chest. His neck like seamlessly goes right into his. Shoulders and chest, and when he walks around, he's got those curls on his neck kind of turning me on, man. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> foot on the floor over there, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and he's got the sagging belly. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, I love just a big bodied, mature buck. I mean, and we're, we're talking a lot about inches and antlers and stuff, and I just want to make sure antlers are cool right I and mean, we enjoy big antler deer they're neat to see they're they're rare they're special because like we just talked about large antler deer are are not the the average thing you're to see yeah. so they're to be in my opinion they're to be appreciated and valued and, and it's neat to hunt but that's not all there is like i there's such an antler craze in the whitetail world so many people are fixated on that well that has been around for forever, forever. yeah forever but I, I just always want to be careful to make sure that even though I might talk about it in a conversation like that, that's not all there is. There's so much more to it. Like, So I'm glad you brought body size and different things like that or or history and experience of the deer or yeah. a set of circumstances. I mean, all those things make that hunt, that deer, uh, special.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, go ahead, Doug. Well, Sorry. I was just going to say, you know, uh, you folks talk about uh, trophy country and trophy hunts and that sort of stuff and the, it. And I think it's the same thing with whitetails. My my favorite hunts are the ones that we've had these great stories about. Yeah. You know, a group of people uh, hunting together. You know, we get this deer or or like your story where you've watched him for a period of time and, and uh, you know, rather than, and he came out and I, well, I never saw him before and I shot him. It's not much of a story. You yeah. know, it's not it's not that it's not a great deer or anything like that, but I think the story really makes the, yeah you know, and maybe the, the suffering or every, sort of like, we, we just did you know we could have shot a caribou 100 yards from our camp right but um we went out and went through a full experience i mean each one of us did yep. s- some more than others
0: but i don't think that uh i want to get back to like the the ant the 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 scoring system and what people mean when they say 140 inches of antler oh, okay. but i'll point out that is a good story if all of a sudden a deer you didn't know about pops out because the 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 the, the woods there's supposed to be an element not supposed to be it's nice when there's an element of the unknown and an element of the surprise and an element of mystery yeah i've you know it doesn't like i don't think it needs to be that in order for it to be legit it needs to have like this agricultural
3: overtone where you're like raising this deer up and taking care of him i think there's lots of different ways it can be neat i mean like my experience i'm having with this deer i think is unique and like super valuable and I'm, i'm really enjoying it but i think to your point too showing up in a new place and seeing that deer for the first time that 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 moment when you first see this deer and the shock like oh my gosh this this is going to happen like that can be really special too um but i think you know it's just different i like the
1: surprise you know um one of the on our farm i used to do a lot more trail camera Mm -hmm. stuff and i still do a lot of it on client properties but I, don't, I haven't had trail cameras out at all this year. And, what? you know, very very few even at the end of the year last year on our yeah. property, whereas I had them on other other people's property because there, that's what I'm supposed to be doing on mm-hmm. mine. It's sort of like, I don't know, kind of like that element of surprise yeah. also. You hear yeah.
3: about this popping up more and more in, like, the whitetail community, like, that exact notion being that kind of just, like, some of us, we get overloaded on our cell phones, so, like, you need to purge it for a while, and you just... You know, take off your Facebook app or whatever, so you're not on there all the time. It's just too much. I know a lot of people that are feel the same way about trail cameras. They're, yeah, you know what, lost the mystery of it. You know, every single or know 90% of the deer that you're ever going to see. So I could, I can totally understand. I, I enjoy using trail cameras, but at the same time, I do like the idea of of that mystery, that surprise, that excitement. So I know guys that are starting to get rid of them. Yeah. Uh, the trail, I, I, I like trail cams. Like there's a th- few
0: things I like about them. One, it just you, you want to be becoming more educated, right? You like know more. You have more information. You know more about animals and how they move and how they interact with their environment. It's a valuable asset. Two, a lot of trail cam images have like a surreal beauty to them mm. that it's just like, that just the sort of the, Without the hand of man really there at the second, just like these like motion sensor activated images, sometimes are just incredible. Like it clicks at a time when a person wouldn't click, and the result is sometimes like stunningly beautiful of animals in their environment, completely unaware of any kind of intrusion. There's a beauty to it, absolutely. Now, when earlier Mark, I want to step back and talk about this. You're talking about 140 inches of antler, and I think a lot of people don't really understand this. So. What Mark's referring to is a number that comes from the Boone and Crockett Club. Now the Boone and Crockett Club
3: And or Pope and Young.
0: And or Pope and Young. Let's talk about Boone and Crockett for a minute. But Boone and Crockett
2: um originated it, right? And the yeah, Boone and Crockett, Boone and Crockett
3: pre- started it. And they predate they predate Pope and Young by fifty years. And or it's something. it's essentially the same measuring system. It's yeah. just one's bow, one's firearm. Right.
0: In the late 1800s early 1900s when wildlife populations in America were collapsing and near collapse and some of them gone um Theodore Roosevelt and other number of influential conservationist hunters started sure. a group called the Boone and Crockett Club and their initial mandate their their initial like reason for existence was to establish And push for the enforcement of game laws. And Yellowstone was one of the first places. So they had this idea that let's have it be that instead of the unregulated commercial slaughter of wildlife, we will establish bag limits and seasons and parameters under which people hunt. And that was how the Boone and Crockett Club, that was their initial thing. They were starting from the ground up. There was nothing in place. The, the system of scoring that eventually came out of this was a way to catalog animal populations and at the time um, you know you didn't have genetic stuff you didn't have sophisticated aging data and they didn't understand like tooth analysis and all this other kind of shit a thing that's just very obvious is the antlers on the males or in in, in bears is the general school sizes so they found a way to say like how can we objectively measure an animal's antlers in a way that is replicable where any two individuals could look at it and apply the same metrics to it. And they came up with a scoring system. The thinking being that if you were to score these things and then track these populations over time, since antlers are a product of age and habitat, age and environment, you would be able to see long-term and short-term trends in antler growth and tell about the stability of a population. If you have a population, let's say you just, the other day we are in conversation talking about this, let's say in Colorado you have that every year Colorado produces 10 bucks that, have, that score a 200 on this measuring system. 10 mule deer bucks score a 200 or better on this measuring system. And then you realize a decade goes by and not a single buck comes out of Colorado scoring a 200 on this measuring system, you would look and think something is amiss in Colorado. Something is not there that was there once. But now, not but now, in addition to that, people also, well, let me add another thing to this. Years ago on on an island where I have a a hunting and fishing shack, years ago, uh, a non-resident was allowed two bears on that island. Every year, then it became like a bear. Then it became that you have to draw a permit, and there's only about a fifty percent chance of being able to get a bear on the island. That was because they had noticed a very slight but gradual decline in the average bear skull coming off of that island, and that hinted to them to the idea of over of the potential for overharvest that the bears were shrinking. And they felt they were probably shrinking due to selective harvest of large animals. So here's where that, like that information, that metric ability influenced management policy. Um, But people also just use it and talk about it in a very fluid way, being like a 140 inch buck. When you say that, that's what you're saying. And it's like a handful of measurements you take. You measure each. Like, you measure the main beam and all this other shit. And, and the scoring system's so pervasive that people don't even talk about tines anymore. They talk about G2s and all this shit. Because when you fill out the form, there's measurements like, what, what do the
3: measurements look like? Yeah, and you know it by heart. G1, 2, 3, 4. Those are your main tines. Yeah. And then you got your main beam lengths and your inside spread. So so dude will be like his G2...
0: His right G2 was this, and that's just because when you fill out the form, that line of the form is for
3: the G2. Yeah, it was funny when we were looking at our caribou. I was like trying to refer to like a point. I didn't know, can I call this? Is this like the G16 on this one? Yeah, yeah. I haven't looked at how you score, a caribou. Uh, I don't know either. But
0: it, that's what Mark's getting at with the, with the score thing. But a big, like, I think that when I was talking about on, in the national sense, like big, huge, giant white whitetail bucks. Aren't really guarded as big, huge bucks until they get to like have one hundred and eighty inches of antler. That's like the like with mule deer. It's like if I could only kill a two hundred inch buck
3: with elk. If I could only kill a four hundred inch bull with whitetails, it's what? I think one seventy because that's boon. Mm. That's a booner. Yeah. Boone and cracker buck and make the boon and crack record buck record books. I mean, but again, it's all relative. Like a guy in New Hampshire, if he sees a hundred and fifteen or hundred twenty five inch buck, he should be stoked. That's an amazing buck in that area. or in Michigan, if you've got a... if So if you... 125-inch buck is a Pope and Young buck. Um, gross. Well, net. But 125-inch um, buck in Michigan is like a pretty nice deer. 150-inch is a giant deer in Michigan. Um, in Wisconsin, I'm sure 150-inch buck where you're at is like, ah, eh, it's a nice buck, I would guess. But- oh,
1: I don't know. 150-inch buck... Uh- gets shot yeah there's there's everybody will shoot that deer but i'm I'm
3: guessing like if that buck but it's more common right you pull up with that in the back of the pickup truck and people like oh nice buck yeah if you pull up with that buck at the buck pole on opening day gun season there's a 200 people swarmed around it taking pictures and looking at it
0: yeah to what degree because of your career to what degree do you feel like you have to go shoot big bucks in order to like maintain your career would your career
3: exist if you never shot a big buck so early on, I thought so. Like, I had this pressure, like the first few years when you know I was trying to build this this website and this brand, and everything. I thought like oh, I got to kill big bucks. And I stressed about it every year and stuff.
0: Else, you won't be you won't be a, a businessman. Right, you won't be a whitetail guy.
3: And I think I think um, now I don't worry about that nearly as much because I have not staked my reputation or what I'm doing on in, in any sense trying to claim like I'm the best deer hunter out there or I'm an expert on all that stuff. What, how I communicate and, and, and what I do, the service I think I provide is I, I am a um, just voracious learner. I love to learn. I want to consume as much as possible. I want to talk to as many different people as possible. So I'm, I'm trying to take in every different input I possibly can, and then I try to share what I learn. And then I share my experiences, lots of failures, lots of mistakes, occasional successes. And I share that real experience with my listeners, readers, etc. And I think that's much more relatable than the guy that kills a hundred and eighty inch buck every single year, doing it one specific way. Um, so now I don't necessarily. Worry. Of course, like I need to have some credibility. You know, like in, you'd like to see that the things I'm learning and trying and doing are you know paying off, and that you know, okay, he tried X, he talked about X, resulted in Y. Yeah, so
2: that content is I think just more relevant to a larger. Yeah. You know. Group of the you know your listeners, yeah.
1: right. it, and I think that's where your credibility is. Talking with you about whitetails, I, I I really enjoyed the conversations, and it's uh, the, the, your experiences and the stuff, the way you're looking at it all is the the credibility is really there.
3: And I think you know i and the other thing I've done is that I'm not embarrassed to share like everything, and so I, I've sh- I've shared all sorts of failures and mistakes I've made, and that's pretty rare within the whitetail world too. And so, like one, someone at one point said, like, oh, "I just love your stuff." And he's like, "And I think it's because you've cornered the market on failure. <laughs> like you've done a really, you've done a great job of sharing all the mistakes you made." So, but you know what? We all make mistakes. We all fail sometimes. It's just most people don't want to talk about it. And I'm I'm okay putting it out there and um, hopefully getting better as we go along. Some every year. people
2: have the idea that other people don't want to hear about the failures.
3: Mm-hmm. I probably get more feedback when I like. Yeah, when something bad happens or I screw something up, like you, more emails and messages and stuff, like oh that happened to me too, or I had this same issue, but I, I thought I was the only one, or I didn't I never like, talked about how to deal with it, you know. And so we've worked through all sorts of different challenges that we all experience, but very rarely do you get to follow along with with someone else on that experience.
1: And you could do everything right, nothing. Especially with whitetails. You can do everything right. And for whatever reason, that deer turns and goes away and all of that. And it's like, you sit there and go, what did I do wrong? They're wild animals.
0: Yeah. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift. Especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, it's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere meaning you share videos photos from any device and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world there's no memory card required right now aura has a great deal for mothers day listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting auraframes.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best selling frame that's a u r a frames.com use code meat eater at checkout to save terms and conditions apply to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative Bold Flavor Full Pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day, and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated doesn't matter outdoor events turkey hunting playing sports beach days mountain adventures summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments with three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick it's clear why liquid iv is the number one powdered hydration brand in america tear pour live more establish some notoriety or establish some claim in hunting in order to feed a career like a media type career in hunting uh you hear of so many examples like there's a couple every year that come up of where they wind up crossing some pretty serious legal and ethical lines yeah in order to achieve it for sure how much do you know the story about the guy we we're talking about the other day from michigan
3: the guy from michigan Oh Rampala? yeah how well do you know it? I couldn't give you all the details. I mean, as give much give, as it, give a
0: sketch of it, though.
3: The super high-level story was back in the 90s. This guy um, killed this gigantic buck up in northern Michigan. It was just incredibly wild, 30 inches wide or 26 wide. In a place where wide. bucks don't get big. In place, yeah, in a place where you just would not see a buck like that. And it was at the time, I, I don't remember if it was the biggest buck killed in the state at the time where they believed it was, but I got a lot of notoriety. I was telling you guys, I remember, I don't know how, I, how old I was, I was eight or 10 or something like that at the time. But I, even at that age, saw this picture in the newspaper and cut out the picture of this buck in the newspaper, put it up on my this. little board. <laughs> Everybody
0: saw it. I remember because yeah. my dad was a scorer. My dad scored for, uh, Pope and Young, he's, re- he's like a certified scorer for Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett, MUCC, all that shit. So bucks flooded into our house yep. to be scored. And I remember like, just the buzz.
3: Yeah, it was big The wild.
0: Impala buck,
3: yeah. or whatever the hell it was called. And it's an impressive looking deer. I mean, even still today, when you see the pictures, whoa. But eventually it came out that this was actually not a free-ranging deer. This is possibly had been raised in a pen or different, you know, um, questionable activities had been uh, involved with the with the killing of that deer, so it wasn't legit. It was proved, you know, he didn't wasn't able to enter it officially in the record books. and He was kind of ostracized because of that, you know, for good reason. Um, some people still today say he that he was actually a really good, legit hunter and he'd killed many bucks in legitimate fashion. Um, but for whatever reason, whether it be ego or a, a desire for notoriety or something, to your point, he crossed that line in a significant way. And it's like there are. I mean, we could if we sat around, we could generate a list
0: as long as your arm, man. A dozens of cases where that happens. Oh yeah. Like, what is the? Do you understand the pressure? Like, have you ever been like, man, um, wired to hunt would get a would get a shot to the arm if
3: if I just could? Or are you immune to it? I'm immune to it because that's just like not, not me. Like that's not my thing. Um but I, like I said, I did feel that pressure. Like I, I should be killing like mature bucks. Like you need to st- you need to have some kind of credibility. Yeah. Um, but I've never been like the type that's trying like oh I have to kill a hundred eighty inch or hundred ninety inch buck or something. I'm not trying to be on the cover of a magazine or something with that. I just want to do something I love, share what I'm learning, and help people. Hopefully. So I've never been in a position where I thought like that was going to skyrocket. I'm not doing TV or anything, um, but I know lots and lots of people that are and and i think it comes down to like your like the why behind it and so i think for some people the why behind wanting a tv show or wanting whatever it is because they want fame and fortune and attention all that kind of stuff um my why has just been different and so i just haven't worried about that
0: what do you say uh do you ever give advice to people who wish they had a job in the in the like in hunting like hunting or fishing or whatever like
3: you got to have people come and ask you oh hundreds and hundreds yeah lots, yeah. lots what of people. do you tell people is there an answer yeah i mean yeah a couple things um you you know i, I can speak to like content related careers because that's what i do like the media type stuff um so i would say number one like figure out what your what whatever medium or type of thing it is that you can do. Like either you have a natural skill set or experience in it or a passion for it. So are you going to write? Are you going to film? Are you going to photograph? Are you going to whatever it might be? Um, so what's like, okay, once you figure that out and then number two, just do it, like create stuff, like get out there, have experiences and put it out there. So for me, when I started a blog, a website, um, yeah, I, I had no reason that people should have been reading what I had to say. I had no one knew who this Mark Kenyon guy was, um, but I just created. So I was just constantly writing, constantly producing content. And so, so my advice is: number one, pick what you what you are passionate about, and what you want to do. Number two, do it, create it, and by doing it, you get better. Like you you can fine tune that craft the more you do it. But if you sit around thinking, wow. Well, Someday I'm going to be a photographer, but I want to wait till I've got the $7,000 camera and I'm going to wait until this thing and that thing. No, you just got to get out there with what you have, do it, fine tune your craft and then share it. And if you do that enough and you continue to grow and continue to get better. And by sharing that, I mean, like, whether it be through social media or networking in person, you establish relationships, connections, if you do all those things, and if you get better at all those things, opportunities come about. So for me, with my website, I just started writing every, like, when I decided I was going to do Wired to Hunt, I started the website, and then every single day, without fail, I was working on every single day, like, every day of the week, I had a new article, weekends i'd stay up you know late at night working on it i work before the day job i work on it after the day job and i just was like i'm gonna keep doing it and then I, i shared it on forums i connected with everybody i possibly could on facebook and twitter and eventually instagram no any one of these single one things like was the reason why i was able to do what i'm doing now but the relentless um chipping away on all those different things i think led to it so those are the three things that i recommend to most people very high level it's not like some secret that i'm sharing um but that's that's what's worked for me um and then one other piece of advice i guess when it comes to content is um fine you can't be a, a generalist when you're starting out is my my thought so if you want to be a if you want to start a podcast or a website these days if you start a general hunting podcast, it's hard to stand out because you can't necessarily create content that's perfect for the audience if you're just doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. What I my the way I thought about things early on was I want to be very niche because if I was very niche, I could say, okay, this is my audience. This is a very tight slice of people that are my audience. So it was super serious, passionate, relatively young people. And if I know who that audience is, if I'm very clear on who that audience is, it makes um, my work as a content creator very easy because I know exactly what's going to resonate with that audience. So then because of that, I'm putting out stuff that just, oh man, that's exactly what I've always wanted to see because I'm creating content for like one guy or girl versus trying to create everything for everybody. So once you can do that, then you have an ability to connect, grow from there. And so since I've been able to grow from there, now I can expand and do different things and generalize a touch. But I think that that is a helpful... um, process to go through early on that's
0: interesting man that 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 part of it. the other shit's all pretty obvious but uh yeah. that's an interesting perspective on it i don't know that i entirely agree with it but I, but i like it fair enough what I did like you it? first
1: start writing about then i mean obviously it was tails. but when you were saying i'm trying to connect specifically with a, a small group of people what was the
3: so yeah when i started the website i was like 21 and you know i was you know at that point I was just switching to like trying to target mature bucks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was writing about my own experiences at that point. I was writing about things I read. I was writing about, um, I was trying to interview different people and like people that were established and new stuff. I was trying to get them on the phone and pick their brains and share some of those experiences. I was doing gear reviews, just anything. I mean, yeah like we were talking about earlier i'm i was doing something whitetail related every day almost um so it's but the
2: niche was whitetail that's as niche as it got
3: sorry let me let me clarify so yes the niche was whitetail and it was the 365 days a year whitetail guy Uh and then again it was everything was with a little bit of an angle towards that younger generation so the things that my generation was interested in and then also the way i was communicating those things so I was communicating with YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and, you know, whatever it might be at the time. And then also different technologies and stuff we talked a lot about. So apps that help out with deer hunting or, you know, trail cameras or different things related to that. I mean, originally that wired to hunt idea in the very beginning was like the intersection of technology with hunting and all that. And it's, it's kind of changed from there, but early on, those are the things I was tackling. So what's the what's the future of being a whitetail guy? The future of being.
0: Let me ask you this: What are the like uh, when you look at deer hunting, um, whitetail deer hunting? What's like? What's the what do you, what do you, when you look into a crystal ball? What do you see? For
3: just the average,
0: yeah, fifty like our experience. years, whatever, like just some new number in the future. Do you imagine it, like what kind of, you know, be recognizable? Do you think there's gonna be like seismic changes? When I think about stuff, I'm like, I, I can't. It's just really hard for me to picture the future right now
3: with the prospects of stuff like CWD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the last like decade or so, we've ha- kind of been like the glory days of of whitetail hunting in a lot of places. Um, you know, herds have grown tremendously since the '60s and '70s. Most places, average age of bucks has been rising tremendously as more and more people are letting young bucks grow. They're paying attention to things like herd dynamics. They're trying to improve habitat or, you know, think about conservation and and kind of what they're doing. So all those things have been happening for, for a while. So we're in a generally good place. Like reaping the benefits of those activities, generally reaping the benefits of of those activities. So I think all those things, most people would recognize as a positive trend, I think. Um, But to your point, there are concerning things like CWD, which is one of those deals that is such a long-term issue like the impacts in the short term for most people right now it's beyond like what they're looking at yeah
0: when we say cwd we're talking about chronic wasting chronic wasting disease and we did a a very exhaustive conversation with a cwd expert a few podcasts ago so you can go find that if you want to catch up on what we're talking about i don't want to recap it all now but yeah
3: so like a disease wildlife disease issue yeah so those the issue though with that and why i think a lot of people struggle with like looking at head-on and wanting to do something about it is because It doesn't necessarily have like population level impacts right now that you can see and feel um, versus something like EHD, which is uh, a disease, a virus, excuse me, that in one year you can lose 60% of your deer herd. Mm -hmm. And that's something like, holy crap, all right, that you can feel that and like wrap your head around that. But with CWD, you might not necessarily see and feel that. But as I understand it, you know, over the course of decades, population-level impacts do start showing up. So in Wyoming and Colorado, where CWD has been around for a long time, they are seeing that a significant proportion of bucks or deer in a herd are dying every year from CWD. So I think it's quite possible that 50 years from now, we will be seeing that in a lot of states.
0: What I When I ask that question, that that's I like your perspective on it, but when I ask that question, when I look at it, what I'm seeing is the way the relationship people have with deer Um. The, the the more social kind of spiritual relationship that people have with deer would change if it winds up that we begin to look at deer as disease vectors that would be
3: a scary situation so
0: to happen if it were to happen like a thing that i really the, the, the thing that i'm most afraid of i'm not most afraid of of Like like a disease like EHD, let's say it's gonna come carry away sixty or seventy percent of your deer herd. I mean that happens all the time. You recover from it. Like it's a it's a pretty like a natural part of our system that happens. It's like you get these like too many deer, disease comes in, it wipes them out, they recover, you can get back up and running in a few years, things go on. With chronic wasting wasting disease, a thing I worry about and it hasn't thankfully it hasn't happened yet would be that you'd have some cases where there's irrefutable proof that a person, that it would would make the jump, that a person would contract a fatal disease from consuming deer meat, like just how that would shift public perceptions of the value of deer. And if there's a thing that you can learn, if you look at global, global politics, global wildlife issues, Wildlife thrives in places where it has a cultural value. If it does not have cultural value, it does not thrive. Um the reason we have wildlife in America and the abundance we do is because we've affixed a tremendous amount of cultural value. It is not here by mistake. And as and if that becomes that that we look at deer with suspicion, um I think it's I think it could really have like a really alter things and and like you being a whitetail guy and you talk about like pursuing whitetail guys and, and that's your audience that's smart because 90% of big game hunters hunt whitetails. So we're talking about a major thing here, you yeah, know. Huge. Um so that's
3: something that worries me a little bit. For sure. I, I 100% agree. I hope that in the interim in the next 20, 30, 40 years whatever it might be before or whatever the timeline is, I hope we find some types of solutions because that is a a grim situation to imagine if you're worried about, if you can't eat deer anymore. Um, Because not only does that impact us as hunters, but then also if if you want to continue hunting. So Mm -hmm. let's say, okay, CWD is prevalent and we've all decided that there's possibilities of it transferring humans so people aren't going to eat deer anymore, but hunters continue hunting them, from the outside looking in, now now one of the most understandable and relatable elements of of why people hunt being looked at from the outside, all of a sudden that's gone. So now non hunters look at what we're doing and saying. So you're just going to kill these deer and you're going to th- toss it out.
0: I wouldn't even waste my time with it. Same reason I don't waste my time shooting shitloads of carp and stuff. Yeah,
3: it's like it just would cease to be of
0: any. I I hunt other stuff, but yeah. So yeah, I think
3: yeah, I think you'd see it would it would be both. Uh, an issue of what we're able to do and of like a credibility issue to the outside world. Yeah,
1: It became a, I, another conversation that we had um, with someone that I know um, in our area, their biggest, not their one and only concern, but their biggest interest in hunting deer is the antlers. Didn't have the same concern about CWD that I did. And it really, that's really upsetting to me because yeah. of that. Well, some of it's the public, Perception, but some of it's just it's a oh, yeah. personal thing. I'm just right. like, what do you mean?
0: But what they don't realize is when they're looking at when they say that all they care about is antlers, what they're looking at is they're not really thinking about where that value came from. They didn't create that value, they inherited that value. When they look at antlers, it's because those antlers represent something and stand for something. Mm. Right? A dude, if you had a dude from Mars come down and land on Earth. He wouldn't see a buck come out and be like, "Son of a bitch, them antlers are awesome." <laughs> he just wouldn't. It's like they value it because they were brought up in a social context that yeah. puts a value on that, and the bigness, like the bigness of them, is alluring to you because it's a rarity. Like, like plains, the the, the equestrian plains, Aboriginal bison hunters, like the Blackfeet, the Crow, they really valued a white buffalo. It was an anomaly right? It was like, cause you Mm -hmm. had to look at 10,000 to find one and it had an extreme value. So when people say like, I just like the antlers, dude, it's like, yeah, okay. You do because of how you, where you were brought up, how you were brought up, what the value system of it came in, because it was a rarity, because it was an achievement to have one get to be old. Anyways, if you start to chip away at, if you start to chip away at like the legacy of deer, the broader cultural meanings of deer, you will see a diminishment in that interest like that interest is is there's a tremendous foundation there that mm-hmm. they might not be able to articulate and they might not know the history of but it's like they didn't come out of a vacuum thinking big antlers are cool. Yeah. It's a learned it's a learned thing. Little kids don't have it. They pick it up. Um so I think that if you know there are ways in which the even that value over time would just cease to be that big of a deal this is me being my most pessimistic Mm -hmm. now the other way to look at it would be that like how shit generally kind of continues along right so um yeah if i really had to like go and put money on it i would say in 50 years we're still gonna be excited about deer hunting we're still gonna be excited about big bucks yeah Uh, but but when you sort of put on this like theoretical what could possibly happen it winds up being a little more entertaining to 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 think about the dark side of things and it just does the reality that my maternal grandfather liked to hunt deer, my paternal grandfather liked to hunt deer, my father liked to hunt deer, I like to hunt deer, my kids already excited about hunting deer. I feel that there's like a pretty good momentum there mm-hmm. that that my kids 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 will be all fired up about deer hunting.
3: So I don't mean to sound like a big old naysayer. Yeah, no, I think as long as we as hunters do our part and making sure that's going to be possible in the future, making sure there's places to do it and, and healthy wildlife to to pursue. I agree. It's probably what's going to happen. Yeah.
0: America will probably continue to be a really great country for a long time, but there's some shit I got my eye out for. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a couple things I'm watching. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yanni, you got any, uh, thing you want to add in, wedge in there in the end?
2: Man, I got a couple. <clears throat> things I wanted to talk or ask Mark about or comment on. Um, I feel like with the antlers and the inches, it's sort of like this there's a, there's a it's a little bit of a negative byproduct, right? Of that scoring system mm-hmm. that it's allowed some maybe like uber competitive people to sort of make hunting into a contest. And I, I really don't like that.
0: The golf, yeah, the golf, the golf if occasion, how do you say that word? The golf occasion of, of, of hunting.
2: Yeah. Where it's like, it's just not, it's just like this personal experience journey. Like you were explaining good the other day where hunting to you is just sort of like this lifelong thing that you're involved in, you know? And, you know, I've mentioned this before. I have friends that have quit scoring animals because they realized how much it affected the way they felt about it. Like they would harvest this animal. It was a great trip. It was, everything was awesome about it. And they got home, put the tape on it and it changed it somehow. And that's like that's like it's a it's a bad byproduct, you know. Like it started with I think such good intentions, you know. And I just want to be clear again to like the Martian or the outsider looking in, when we talk about (laughs) Martian, yeah. When we talk about like seeing the 140 inch deer, yes, we're using that as another efficient way to talk about what we know is a great big buck. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's um it's again because it is that rarity and anomaly it's like going to see a you know 500 foot waterfall somewhere or seeing like the triple rainbow or a bearded lady
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: i get an an interesting example it could be that. yeah sure
3: oh um, but i 100 percent agree with you honest yeah
2: but it's just like it, it, it's not a contest and I, and I feel like yeah we need to just you know monitor ourselves on that and uh yeah, always remember that there's more to that. But my question to you, Mark, was you talked a lot about um, like picking your times to hunt, not hunting certain properties a lot. Right. We talked about this the other day. Yeah, and you mentioned that I think in the last hour as well, right? Like you're just like real selective, you know, about when you're going to go hunt this buck, and it might only be three or four days in a season, mm-hmm. right? So does that limit your hunting to the point where? Because I'm kind of like listening. I'm like, man, I, I'd want to get out and hunt more. Or do you have right. other Properties where you're still getting, you're like, I'm not lacking hunting time because I'm sitting there waiting for the time to strike. Yeah. So the way I do, Mark, it, I kind
0: of interrupt real quick because I'm feeling awful about something. Yeah. You know, people used to pay to see bearded ladies in old circuses. <laughs> <laughs> it was a joke. I was making a joke about how people used to pay money in the old Barnum and Bailey days, like you'd pay money to go see a bearded lady. Oh, I didn't
3: know that. I had heard. I had heard of that. Yeah. I've
0: not it's seen a freak show. It was like a part of the circus. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> anyways. To your question, because I know that that could potentially feel a little out of field, right. but it was, I was making an old circus joke. It, it,
3: it just didn't—I <laughs> don't know if it landed <laughs> quite right. But <laughs> so to Yanni's question, um, so yes, it would be the latter. So I have—I try to have as many different places that I can hunt as possible, so I can spread that hunting pressure across a number of different areas. So in this case, with this buck, I know there's certain times of the year based on my analysis over the years that he's more vulnerable so i'll be looking for certain uh, factors such as temperature and wind direction etc etc if those things look right the first couple days of the season that's one of my best opportunities for a shot him so i'm gonna hunt the first day or two of the season if the conditions are right after that i'm gonna stay out because he just does not move in daylight on the property i can hunt from like the, from the first week of October through around like the twenty-third, twenty-fourth, um for whatever reason, he he's a little more careful during that time frame. And lots of times what people have found and what I've seen too is that deer have relatively consistent annual patterns. So where you can see that a buck is going to be using a certain area or he becomes more daylight active in a certain area year after year around the same general time frame. So this buck, around the twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth, he all of a sudden a light switch for him in particular, switches. So I had a shot at him on the 24th in 2015, and I had a shot at him on the 25th in 2016 in the exact same place. Hmm. And I started picking up more trail camera pictures of him in the exact same place at that same time frame. So for that like two-and-a-half-week period, I'll, ha- I'll be hunting some public land. I'll be hunting in Ohio. I'll be hunting uh, my family's little property up in northern Michigan. So yeah, I think in a perfect world, you'd like to have permission or public access to keep hunting a lot. But just any one particular place is going to have a smaller number of hunts. Um, it's just picking picking the right times, and then you know trying to have a, a concise kind of surgical strike when you go in there. Yeah, but yeah. You're,
2: you're getting enough hunting day, hunting days in to keep yourself happy because you know you're going to apply a certain amount of pressure. So you need places to need apply places. that pra- yeah.
3: apply that pressure. So you just in that case, you have to be willing to knock on a lot of doors or figure out how to hunt public land or if Mm -hmm. you've got the the funds to to access land in some other way do that um but yeah we get that question a lot like i want to hunt more i wouldn't want to hunt this way and you don't need to hunt that way at all i mean that's just if you're hunting in a situation like i am where it's heavily pressured and if you're targeting mature bucks those types of tactics are Mm -hmm. most often the best way to go about it but if you're just trying to you know shoot any deer to fill a freezer go ahead and hunt your heart out um because you can you can shoot does and and yearling bucks doing that kind of thing. Um, I want to hit my concluders because it's a good place to wedge them in.
0: One, when you're talking about the light switches and that buck starts coming out on October 23rd, it's that's kind of literal because that has shit has a lot to do with like the photo period, photo period, length of day. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not like I I don't mean to present it as I'm telling you something you don't know, but um, it's just interesting if people are just beginning to think about animals in a detailed way it's so much of animal activity is really triggered by, if you see consistency, like to the calendar day consistency with animals, what's what you're seeing is effects of changing day length, which triggers many things. Yeah. Change like photo periods, create windows of time. And then within those windows of time, there are many other factors that contribute. Um, So that's a, nice thing to keep your eye on when you start to really, when you really want to get detailed about learning about wildlife. But the thing and you kind of touched on this a minute ago, but it struck me the other day as we were having this like age old argument where someone would be like, oh man, you like the best time to hunt is when you can. And I was presenting that because I was talking about, we were talking about people who don't, who think that moon phase affects deer movements and they won't hunt if the moon's not right. And we were discussing a counter argument would be like if you can be out in the woods be out in the woods and mark was like well no not really and just reiterate again why why maybe not when you can be out in the woods be out in the woods yeah
3: so again if you're trying to kill an old buck these bucks are very savvy to human intrusion so every time you go into a property you increase the odds of that buck learning about your presence. So you're educating that buck and or the larger deer herd every time you step foot in there, whether it's to tinker with a tree stand or move a trail camera or to hunt. Every time you go in there, you are educating deer. So you're You're leaving scent, creating visual disturbance, et cetera, et cetera. So your odds for success in the future decrease some percentage points every time you go in there. So my thought process is if I'm trying to kill a mature buck, I want the odds of reward to be as high as possible because I know that there's going to be a, some level of risk every time. So I want to find the lowest risk and the highest reward days, strike on those days, minimize the number of intrusions so that I don't educate more deer because you can educate that buck. Or if you educate the doe herd and you know, let's say in a situation where a, a mature doe or a handful of mature does starts picking up on the fact that I'm rolling into this little corner of the property every couple days, then she doesn't come around anymore. Or when she comes in, she looks right at the tree stand. Mm-hmm. If that happens and the buck happened, buck I'm after happens to be 100 yards behind and sees her spook, or maybe that buck would have followed her in towards a tree stand on November 1st, but because now those does know not to move in there during daylight, now he won't follow her in there. Oh. always need to be thinking about the impacts of hunting pressure, human intrusion, and then, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an odds thing. I'm constantly looking at the scale. Every single hunt I go into, I just have these two hands. And I look, okay, what are the things in favor of reward? So what do I have going for me? Maybe it's the time of year. Maybe it's the conditions. Maybe it's an op- Maybe I saw him in daylight recently moving. Maybe I know that a certain food source is going to be particularly palatable starting now. Um, so those are all the things that will tell me how high or low that chance of reward will be. And then I'll look at the chances of risk. So what things could lead to me being you know, spotted or what could lead to me blowing my cover. So maybe it's wind. Maybe it's how many times I've been in there. Maybe it's the time of year. Maybe it's, you know, how the neighbors are are hunting or doing something like that. So all those things factor into every single hunt, um, for me at least. You know, you talked about uh, whitetail guys will invent
0: moves that kind of are reminiscent of professional wrestling moves. Like you talk about, like, the bump and dump.
3: The bump and dump.
0: I would, if I was you, I would think of a move called the canyon
3: so what's the and canyon
0: it would be that you sneak on to all the neighboring properties after <laughs> dark and just make life hell for those deer thinking that they will naturally congregate on the on property vine? where you have permission
3: oh, okay. weren't we just talking about that whole deal of crossing the line <laughs> the, canyon. the canyon?
0: so the canyon. every night you're just going through core feeding and bedding areas <laughs> just like raising holy hell
3: now here's okay This is the, that made me think. That is,
0: I'm joking because Matt, that's what Mark does, and it is called the canyon. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely not what I do.
2: (laughs) I'm joking. I'm totally
3: totally joking. (laughs) But one thing I do, I do do, um, is I, I, I kind of call it like my gun season sanctuary strategy. Mm. So I think about like if there's a property that I have sole access to. So again, this, if we keep referring to this 90 acres, this is like the one place I have that nobody else hunts. So I have the opportunity to do things there that otherwise, you know, if other guys were coming in and out, I wouldn't. So my thought process is that November fifteenth, as you know, in Michigan, the Orange Army comes out, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of deer hunters are in the woods. It's a dramatic increase in hunting pressure. Most of the deer in Michigan get killed during the first day of gun season and then over the course of the next couple of weeks. I choose not to hunt this property at all during gun season. Hmm. Because my thoughts are that I create a sanctuary. It vacuums vacuums in deer from all the surrounding properties during that time period. So dozens and dozens of hunters are all around. They're all hunting with their guns. All these deer are looking for somewhere there's not hunters. That so happens to be this property. All these deer flood in there. This achieves two things for me. Number one, it pulls in deer in the short term. So if there is a mature buck that I'm after, it's more likely that he'll survive through gun season than I can continue to target him in the late season or into the future. And then number two, in the long term, a lot of year-and-a-half-old bucks come pouring, or two-and-a-half-year-old bucks. Bucks I'd like to see make it to an older age class. I'd like to see a more balanced age structure. So I think I can have a disproportionate impact on the deer herd in a general area. Even though I'm only hunting a little piece of it, I can have a disproportionate impact because I create a safe place during the most dangerous time more deer can make it through. Um, And I can't quantify the impact that's had, but anecdotally, I do believe it has made a positive impact. I've seen mature bucks that I don't think would have made it if I was in there m- mucking around all the time. Yeah, I would call that the crowdsourced canyon. <laughs> do you uh, Do you
1: it? monitor that property then during the gun season so that the guy next door or the guy on yeah. the other side, because a small property like that dude just walks on the edge yeah. of a 40-acre yeah it's only uh, you're only talking about something a quarter miles about in Wisconsin
0: miles. you wait till the packers are playing <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then go hunt the neighbor's because you know damn sure he's not out in the woods yeah, yeah so so yeah I mean there's always that risk right but I've tried to establish positive relationships with the neighbors so i, I I'm I'm trusting number two I do have trail cameras all over the place that are monitoring edges and stuff and I think'm I try to make that known there's posted signs all around it that explicitly say that there are, you know, trail cameras monitoring this property. Even really? Though, wow. Um so that if you if you were to come on there, you know, there's a good risk that um, you're gonna get spotted and prosecuted. So I try to manage that as best possible. And oh I'll even man. I try to I try to uh, I try to be nearby as often as yeah, I can no, too. I, and I,
1: um I go through that. You, you gotta know. make your presence known. Yeah I throttle a guy in the bar every once in a while
3: just, <laughs> 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 just in case he's not in your hand. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> well
0: Doug just walks in randomly beats up a guy and announces to everyone that he has a picture of him on his property.
3: I don't, I don't disbelieve that because today we walk into a restaurant and Doug's afraid to sit down with his back towards the group because he's worried someone might come up and clock him. Yeah, hey, he's got gunfighters. <laughs> Doug, you got any concluders?
1: Uh, yes, but one of them would, we would go on for a long time, so I, I so guess skip I'll skip that one. Skip that one. Well, but it is something I'd like to talk to you about in the future, and that is about how you gain access to properties. Yeah.
0: Ooh, that it's would big be good. One. I got a lot to say about yeah. 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 i got a lot to share on that, thing, I want to do a whole episode called Permissions. Will you come back on for that? Absolutely. I, had yeah, that's, to talk about
1: I, I think that's really, uh, you know, and of course, on my place, if you're a famous guy, you get to come and hunt. And you know hunt.
0: Fiddler on the Roof, that song, Traditions? Yeah. Traditions.
3: We'll do With Permissions.
1: permissions. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Uh, okay I, I never knew
3: how much you guys sing either that was something i learned on this trail. oh dude we <laughs> sing a lot man
1: <laughs> especially when we all know the song right? oh man um, so yeah so that's something for another time uh, you, you know and the, i guess the other thing that i would say is that the most uh interesting part and in, and enjoyable part of all this uh for me is um and i know why you two guys are getting along so well and, and yanni too with is that there's um the the passion that you have for, um, what it is that you do, uh, I mean, it's almost as if you came to this, um, in, in, in both of your, uh, where, you know, where you're making your living because first you were passionate about hunting and animals and, and conservation and all of that. And then the rest of it followed as opposed to, I'm going to. I'm going to be a TV guy, or I'm going to be a, a podcast guy, or whatever, and so then go. What am I going to do it about? Yeah, um, and I just don't think that you can create that authenticity without that passion and sincerity. And I think that's really, um, I think that's really important, and and uh, the thing that that ties it all together.
0: I learned that. Yeah, I learned that in tenth grade from my teacher Robert Heaton, who said what many writing teachers say. And others should say, is um, write what you know. Yeah.
1: Well, that's cool. I mean, it's 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 and, and it's I wonderful said, to be good,
0: I don't know about Shakespeare. <laughs> so that, that, was that ex- in a Shakespeare so pack? that excuses me from that assignment. <laughs> um. Yeah, I already did my concluder. You good on yours, Doug? I'm good too. That was a good one. I liked it. Yeah, thanks. Um, and I do like your suggestion for the way ass bigger one. Well just permissions. You know. yeah. yeah. Um Mark, concluders. You got your wedding ring off.
3: Yeah, I fiddled with this thing a Slowly,
0: lot. Slowly. He lost his shoes, <laughs> now he lost his wedding ring.
3: Hope your wife's not listening. Yeah, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> We're laying in bed. Um fit, so you, 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 just
1: real quick One you're foot like, on the floor.
3: You're like a ring fiddler. Oh, I'm a ring fiddler. Big time. I've I've lost it in like car seat cushion or like you know, down in the cracks and stuff many times.
0: I would be, but my fingers have changed. They've become more powerful to where I can't get mine off. I'll tell you a story though, um, even though it's your turn for a concluder. When I was a kid, we were butchering a snapping turtle and my old man somehow in the process lost his wedding ring and my mother was devastated. He was all upset and searched and searched and eventually he got to where he remembered that he had rinsed all the turtle meat in this big tub and then pulled the turtle meat out and then later took the tub and had dumped it in the garden just to like water and went out and was looking around the garden and found the wedding ring wow where he dumped the after like running it through in his head like what could have possibly happened to that ring and eventually occurred to him and there it was in the How garden long was that time frame i don't remember i was little we if found
2: was, a few in gut piles <laughs> we'd be back at camp and the guy would, you know all of a sudden go oh oh no
1: a few? And,
2: yeah, twice it happened <laughs> that I can remember. So you go back it's in the gut. Yeah, problem. we go back and, you know, because it gets, that blood can be slick, you oh, know, man. and if you don't have those, you know, ever powerful fingers that continue to grill and, you know. My father fly lost right his off. delivering baby
0: pigs. Is that right? Yeah. We found it the pig?
1: No, Had to never wait found it found it, but that's where Found it in
0: some bacon years later. <laughs> uh, one time I was out, we were floating, um, fishing and, and, uh, Saw where a bunch of ravens were dicking around in the trees off the, off the river. And we start going over there, and it's just bear trails, like new bear trails leading this area. And someone had butchered a moose. Hmm. And so it's an area the size of this hotel room that's just matted down grass. You know, and they're just in there really heavy, like feeding on it. The carcass is totally gone. And laying in the middle of this room-sized piece of matted ground is a leather man that looks licked clean. Just like glistening in the sun laying there, and you can tell that some dude like lost it, butchering his moose, and eventually all the shit that was obscuring it from his view has been mopped up (laughs) and then cleaned to the point where this thing looked like off the factory floor (laughs) laying in there. I still have that thing. Wow. I still have it. That was over a decade ago. Huh. I keep it in kind of a special place. Not it's not in my medicine box but it's in a place where it could someday make its way into the, <laughs> it hasn't been upgraded to the medicine box but it's close mark your concluder the, the, uh, after a few delays there I'm sorry that's
3: <laughs> okay uh, well I guess first I just want to thank you so much for having me here for this trip and this experience and being on here on the podcast it's been an unbelievable experience I think me and Doug have just said it over and over and over again to each other they like just look at each other and we wow just amazing so oh, thank, you're welcome. so thank you Um and I guess I was just—I was, I was trying to think here about things we've talked about and things we haven't yet talked about. Um, and something that is worth noting, and maybe it's—I think it's maybe more so—it's a kind of a whitetail guy thing—is that I'm generalizing here, but I think very often we whitetail guys get something that I kind of refer to as conservation tunnel vision, where we start looking at just our back forty or our little place or our property and we're very focused on just what's happening there i just want to make sure i I mean these are good things maybe doing some habitat work or you know killing does because that's going to help your herd or whatever it might be you care about that little slice and that's important and good but what i worry sometimes within my little community is that sometimes we'd fail to pay attention or care about the bigger picture things as much like public land issues or clean air clean water um or whatever it might be so one of the things I always try to remind my whitetail brotherhood is that all these bigger picture issues, they, they impact all of us too. Um, so, so try to listen, hear about all these different issues, educate yourself, care about your back 40, but also look at these bigger picture things that impact your hunting rights or the ability for us to have, you know, vibrant wildlife populations across the country yeah like it or not your back 40
0: is part of the
3: earth
1: yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you
3: know? yeah exactly so i think you know that's all i that's all i'd add to is that we are a part of a very large connected world and um let's take care of it
0: have you ever heard the idea it's a <laughs> theoretical concept that okay like like think of your own body like you're an organism right and at being an organism you have you're made up of many organs that have all these functions so you have a circulatory system right you're like taking in liquids pulling things expelling things and you're this part and then you also have more cells that aren't you than that are you when you think of all the microorganisms that comprise your gut and that live on you as parasites or in symbiotic relationships with yourselves with yourself um there's this theoretical concept that you would think of the earth as an organism. And at first it seems kind of trippy and like a little bit out there, but once you start thinking about if you imagine the earth as an organism and it has a circulatory system and it breathes and it has blood and it has microorganisms within it. It's just like something when you like laying in bed at night. It's fun to start imagining that. Yeah. That you, you are one of those microbes, the same that you have millions and millions of microbes in you. You are one of those microbes that is part of this organism, the earth. Yeah. And your concept of your world, if you imagine if those microbes in your gut had consciousness, their consciousness would lead them to think that they are the thing. They are the thing that matters. And this body that gives them life and that they exist in is just this broader other that they don't really get because they are the point of existence. And expand that outward and outward and outward, and it becomes an interesting mental exercise.
3: Yeah, and I think if we all looked at things a little bit more that way, it could lead to some positive things. All right, man. Thanks for tuning in.
0: Telling you what, decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to decked.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to decked.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping.